My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am going to go home this afternoon and make my own adoroscope. I think that's a great idea. Leah's constantly bribing us with different things, so if I can... Yeah. I'd like to invite you to look at our scripture reading for this morning, and it's from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be looking a little more deeply into the verses that Jeremy already opened with, Isaiah chapter 9. And if you've got a Bible that you brought with you, open that up. It's kind of right in the middle. If you end up in the middle, you'll probably be in the Psalms and then go back to the right a little bit. You'll get to Isaiah soon. Isaiah chapter 9. I kind of like uh, seasonal celebrations because a lot of times we go back to a thing called the lectionary. A lectionary is a tool that's given to churches to say on certain Sundays you're supposed to read certain passages. So they just tell you what you're supposed to read. And then uh, it, it actually helps us. And I think this is part of the forming that happens when we celebrate together in worship. We get formed by realizing this isn't really about us. We're just coming together and God's going to shape us and form us Uh, in ways that we maybe don't even see coming. So let's be formed by these words from Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Just a little poll before we begin here. How many of you have decorated a Christmas tree so far this year? Anybody? Maybe the question should be, how many Christmas trees have you decorated so far this year? Anybody decorate more than one? Yes. We're really thankful for the crew that came in. I think we had between 19, 20, 21 different people throughout the week come in and help us decorate in here. I think there's 32 trees in the building at the current moment, so thank you to all you who helped us decorate those. I love Christmas trees, and uh, if you do too, I think you'll enjoy this little clip we've got for you. Go ahead and show that clip right now. Dad, didn't they invent Christmas tree lots so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. Oh, my 
toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Uh, it's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big, it's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <sighs> Look at it. It really is beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it viewed, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. <sighs> the three are the symbol of the spirit of the Griswold family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? <laughs> I think we love Clark Griswold because he loves Christmas. And even if he gets his expectations kind of out of whack, we can kind of identify with that. Who, who doesn't have some unrealistic expectations of Christmas? I know that I do. I came across this description of Christmas just to think about expectations. It's the time of year again when friends and family plan for the coming holiday with their loved ones. As we reflect on this wonderful holiday, we must keep in mind that Christmas is not just any holiday, but the most important one of the year. It's a time for remembering, a time to share the goodness of your heart with others, a time for expressing with words and gifts what someone means to you. It's a chance to make wishes come true, to give something from your heart, to express love and caring to the ones that we love the most. Isn't that just a beautiful expression? Now, anybody who has this high of expectation, you kind of wonder, what are they selling? And in the case of this little thing I just read to you, they were selling Christmas cards. And their little message was, if you get the proper Christmas greeting then you can help everyone's Christmas wish come true. Right? Well, maybe it's a little bit of an unrealistic expectation. And I think that pastors are not immune to this kind of, un, un, kind of unrealistic expectations. I remember thinking as a young guy that Christmas season, Advent season, was like the playoffs and Christmas Eve is like the Super Bowl. And if you don't deliver at this time of year then you might be responsible for deflating a whole bunch of expectations for a whole bunch of people. So that kind of like ramps up the pressure. And I thought that the way to deliver on that expectation was this. If I could kind of net out the Christmas story little by little, unfolding each week a little bit more of the story so that you don't get the whole thing just a little more, that your expectations every week would get higher and higher and higher until finally on Christmas Eve we would announce the good news of a Savior born, and everybody would go, wow, I didn't see that coming. That was really unexpected. Now I realize, as we come together, that everybody's already got the Christmas story. You've already heard it. Most of us have heard it year after year after year. And instead of focusing on this kind of unrealistic expectation of kind of like just this big surprise that comes, like opening a present at Christmas, 
What if we focused on uh, what we already know and just focused in? What if we could take our little adoroscopes and actually look real intensely at one part of the story? And as we look at that part of the story, what if we then recognize this great need to adore this baby born in a manger? And that's what we'd like to try to do over the next several weeks. And the things that we're going to focus in on with intensity are the names of Jesus. Throughout the Christmas story, there's a bunch of different names given for Jesus. And we're going to look in depth at each of those names to try to understand what about this name is worthy of our our adoration. What about this name will create awe? Now, this idea of adoring, I think, involves a bunch of different qualities. It means that we are going to cherish something, we're going to treasure it, we're going to exalt it, glorify it, praise, revere, love, and adore. Now, there's kind of an interesting thing I found uh, in this wonderful modern technical age we live in. You can actually do a, a study of words, and you can study about their frequency of use, and is a word in vogue or not in vogue. And so I was curious about adore, whether or not that was a word that's currently in use or not. And I discovered that at the beginning of the 17th century, this word was very popular, that there was a lot of use of the word adore. And then since the 17th century, the use of the word adore just went downhill and was used less and less and less. And it got me wondering why that might be, because it seems like we're people maybe who aren't so much into awe, we're more into like explanation. Why don't you just explain it to me and clarify it and make it clear to me? And then as we do that, we lose this sense of like wonderment or this sense of awe. But something interesting happened about the turn of this this century. And that was the use of the word adore has actually been on the increase again. That people seem to be more interested in finding something to have awe over. Something to adore, to spend adoration. So I take that as hopeful that um, awing or adoring maybe is going to take precedence over explaining. And so what I'd like to do over the next several weeks is maybe a little less explaining and a little more adoring, hoping that that will help to generate some awe. And I'm going to start by using a little chorus. If you know this chorus, why don't you sing along with me? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Did you know that adoration for Jesus actually started before he was born? that there was a looking forward to his coming. And then that adoration peaked or reached a crescendo at the time of his birth. And then that adoration continued throughout his life. And actually we're told that that adoration is going to continue and then it's going to peak again when Jesus returns. This is what Advent means. Advent means coming. We're looking forward to the coming, but not just to his coming as a baby. We're looking forward to his coming again as a king. Now, we got clues about this coming as a king way back before Jesus was born, and that's what we want to look at in these verses from Isaiah. Let's look at this in Isaiah 9 as like a birth announcement. 
You know, sometimes people say, hey, we're expecting or, we, or somebody's, uh, we're looking forward to our baby arriving. They send out a little an announcement of that. Isaiah was doing that in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah actually started his adoration in the year that King Uzziah died. And if you go back and start at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1, you'll read this. This is coming, and if you're into this kind of thing, this was 740 years before Jesus was born. That's when he started to write. King Uzziah was one of the good kings of Israel. He was actually a king who was very capable and very good, and the people were blessed while King Uzziah was king. They had confidence in him. They recognized that he was making the kingdom a better place while he was kinging. And he was replaced by his son, and his son was a disaster. Things came unraveled when his son became king. And the people became very worried. The people were worried about what was coming now. What happens if we live under a bad king? They were very anxious people. Actually, Isaiah, when he was writing, almost the entire time he was writing, he was writing to a people who were very anxious. They were worried about what was going to happen in their nation. Anybody here anxious? Anybody here ever worried about what's going to happen in our country? These are the kinds of people Isaiah is writing to. In that day, people were nervous about security. They were afraid that there might be some threat. And they had good reason for this because there were enemies all around and the Assyrians at that time in particular were threatening to invade. They were worried about security. They were also nervous about injustice and oppression. They lived in a time when one neighbor would take advantage of another neighbor. And so they saw great acts of injustice and oppression that caused anxiety. They were also anxious about moral failures They saw moral breakdown and uh, people were turning their back on faith. You'd call it a faith crisis. People were living in a way that was not obeying God's commandments. They were uh, worshiping, but it was only kind of the acts of worship. Their sacrifices were called meaningless sacrifices. They were not really significant. These people were worried. Here's a little description about this. If you want to read it, you can read the whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 1 and you'll get the, the details. Here's some highlights. Hear me, you heathens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, and they have rebelled against me. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners, Right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. This is a mess. These people are a mess. 
And they're filled with anxiety as they're wondering about what is going to happen next, what is going to come. This is the situation into which Isaiah writes. The people were actually thinking, you know what, if we could just get a good king, everything would be okay again. If we could just get someone like Uzziah again, then everything would be set right. If we could just get a good king. Enter Isaiah. Isaiah comes, and he says some things about judgment. You know, if you live this way, there's judgment that could come to you. But his book is not primarily about judgment. His book is primarily about hope. Isaiah also thinks, you know what? If we could just get a good king, everything would be all right. And then he goes on to describe what that good king would do and what he would look like and the kind of hope that this king would bring. He says, we need a king because a good king will bring us hope. As bad as the situation might be, uh, the right king would make all the difference. Listen again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoicing when dividing plunder. This is what happens when a good king can come. And this is the king that's coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah says, if we could just get a good king, everything would be set right. Everything that's wrong would be fixed. Justice would be established. Peace would be never-ending. If we could just get a good king, and then Isaiah says, a good king is coming. Advent means coming. We're looking forward to the coming of this good king. Until he comes, we wait. Isaiah goes on to elaborate a little bit more about what we could expect, the things we can look toward as we're waiting. This comes from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We need a good king to bring this about. Isaiah says there's a good king and he's coming. Now, there's no real big surprise about this because we all know the story, right? The good king who's coming is who? 
Jesus. Jesus is the good king. Jesus is the ruler who comes. Jesus is the one who comes to serve. Jesus is the one who comes to bring peace. Jesus is the good king. And Christmas is the announcement that the good king has come. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You know, Isaiah gives us the most comprehensive picture of the good king. In fact, as you read through the book of Isaiah, you can get all kinds of details about the life of Jesus, the king. It starts with this kind of announcement that he's going to come, and then we get a description of his virgin birth. We get some explanation about the kind of proclamation of good news that he's going to make. We get descriptions of the healings that he's going to perform. We're told about his ministry and his sacrificial death on the cross, his, the abuse that he takes on our behalf. We're also told about his reign on the throne and his coming again. This is all in the book of Isaiah. And if we read through this book with our uh, adoroscopes, we can see more clearly exactly what this good king will accomplish. And I'd actually like to give you a little kind of invitation this Christmas season to, to maybe do a little focusing by looking at the book of Isaiah. And I've got some uh, assistants out there who are going to help me right now pass out these little slips of paper. So everybody should take one of these. At the front of it has a little description of Isaiah and his message, and the back has a little reading plan for you. As a way for us to focus our adoration this Christmas season, I'm going to invite you to consider this thing. Would you read the whole book of Isaiah with me? And this is set up in readings each week of Advent. It's actually only five days a week, so you get a couple days off each week. So there's five readings each week, about three chapters a day. And as you're reading through the book of Isaiah, look with intense focus on what does this say about Jesus? How is Isaiah looking to Jesus? And what different names does he give for Jesus? What different descriptions does he give about Jesus' ministry and his mission? And how does he give hope for Every word of judgment that Isaiah gives, I think he gives 10 words of hope. So think about this. If you haven't made all of your Advent plans yet, I'd like to invite you to take this little bookmark home, stick it in your Bible, and just read each of these readings. There's about five a day, and um, you can read through the whole book of Isaiah and focus your attention on adoring Jesus. Just to whet your appetite, I'm going to give you a little bit more of what Isaiah has to say about Jesus, the good king, and the kind of response that this evokes from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 12. When Isaiah turns his lens on Jesus and begins to adore and recognize who he is, this is the kind of adoration that Isaiah breaks into. I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim his name is exalted. 
Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Isaiah sings these praises because he recognizes we need a good king. And we have one in Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. First challenge, take that little bookmark home, read through the book of Isaiah throughout the season of Advent. Look for King Jesus. See what you can learn about him. Second thing, I'd like you to listen to Christmas carols a little different this season. I was shocked as soon as I started to think about Jesus as the good king, how often the word king comes up in Christmas carols. There are so many. So here's a little challenge for you. As you're listening to Christmas carols this year, each time you hear the word king, Turn your adoroscope on again and take another look, a fresh look at Jesus, the good king. And to help you practice that, I'd like you to listen to this little song that we've prepared for you. What child is this who lay to rest on me? Lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch our king. 